This morning, our text for our message is Psalm number eight, the eighth Psalm, in a message titled, The God of Creation. The God of Creation. So follow along as I read these short uh, nine verses, Psalm number eight. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful, or mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Psalm number eight, if you were reading straight through, is the first of the Psalms, the first praise psalm, or sometimes they're called hymns, and is the only one of the entire book of Psalms that is composed, that is composed as a direct address to God, the only one. So it's an important one, it's why I picked it. But the subject of this psalm is the very important role Remember, it's about creation, right? The very important role that God gives to you and to me, that is his people, which is the crowning achievement of creation as it comes out of Genesis chapter one and two. In fact, most, maybe this is obvious, hopefully it's obvious, but certainly any good scholar or student of the Bible would, 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 would know almost immediately that the writer, in this case, if it's David, it's a Psalm of David, is is commenting on Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter two, you know, especially in verses five and six. You have made them a little lower than the angels, crowned them with glory and honor. Comes right out of Genesis chapter one. This is what it means to be made um, in the image of God, or this is what happens at creation. God didn't just, you know, create people as an afterthought. The, 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 the creation account starts with the floor and the fawn, it starts with animals, and it comes to a, um, a head, it comes to the, the end. The crowning achievement is humanity, man and woman, who are crowned with glory and honor, who are given rulership, it's given authority. In other words, verse six through eight. Given a kind of authority. This is, in a sense, God language, and it's what it means to be made in the image of God. But let me say this about Genesis chapter one and two, about the creation account. It's not an abstract statement about, you know, the, 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 the origins of the universe, okay? That's not what Genesis chapter one and chapter two are about. It's a theological statement, the creation account, about God's purpose in human life. And what the psalmist is doing after seven psalms, more or less, chronologically anyway, of lament psalms, after you know, looking, facing the difficulty of everyday life and crying out for help, which, which meant not only the first seven, probably most of the first 70 psalms are that way, he takes a, 
a calculated break in the eighth psalm. And he, he wants to lift up his head and not only praise God, right, his North Star, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, but he wants to remind himself, which is what I want us to do today, of the purpose of his life, right? I mean, none of us, right, me, you, none of us are, 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 are happy or excited about you know, the coronavirus and all the, you know, uh, the complications that we are still living in, right, as of today. None of us are certainly excited uh, or happy about the, uh, the racial tension and difficulties that have been taking place in the cities of our nation. Of course, none of us feel that way. But the purpose of my life is not simply to discover happiness. The purpose of my life is not just to avoid suffering, and neither is it your purpose, okay? The first thing this psalmist wants to say, to try to encourage himself in the midst of a, of a, of a, of a difficult and broken world, the first thing that I want to remind us is, you were made to move mountains, okay, in a sense. That's what the psalmist wants to say. He's reminding himself, I'm reminding us of the purpose of our life. You were made to, to move mountains. This psalmist is writing this, as I said, the centerpiece of it is Genesis 1 and 2. He's talking about the image of God, but ask yourself something. It says we're made in the image of God. Jesus is said as the express image of God. We are new creatures in Christ. Jesus is restoring the broken, the lost, the, the, the sin-damaged image of God. What does that actually mean? That's what the writer's trying to say. Well, what is the image of God? The image of God is not have anything to do with your appearance whether you're tall or short or, or, or the color of your skin or how good-looking or not good-looking you are, has nothing to do. How do I know that? Because the Bible says God is a spirit, right? God's a spirit. So it has nothing to do, to be made in the image of God has nothing to do with appearance. You say, well, what about Jesus? Well, Jesus uh, is, as the Son of God, he became a man. He took on human form for the express purpose of communication so that we might know the revelation of God more intimately. God became a man in the person of Jesus for an express purpose, but God is a spirit, okay? So to be made in the image of God has nothing to do with physical appearance. That's why he uses the terms glory and honor and dominion. What it means to be made in the image of God, it's about representation, that's what it's about. Image is about representation. One writer said this. In other words, it's representing God in the world. When he says, Lord, our Lord, a Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth? He's, he's making a statement about the purpose of life because God's name, okay, is a representation of his character. And what he's saying is, how is God's name made manifest majestic in all the earth, right? Well, it's done through the lives of his creation. Image is about representation, but this one writer said, listen, God is known through his people, now listen to this, where power is received, this is what the image of God is, power is received, difficult decisions are made, and commitments are honored. This is what it means to live out the image of God, where power is received, right? It's not what you, it's not what you have, it's not, you don't look inside yourself. It's, O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It's 
we are made in God's image, our power comes from him. Where power is received, where difficult decisions are made. This is what it means to exercise God's image. It's making decisions, right, with, God, and with, with the power you've been given and honoring your commitments in life. This is what it is. When Jesus said to his disciples, as an example of this, they were going through a, Jesus was, was in the temple courts and he walks out and, and, he, and he says to them, they're, they're, they're amazed at something he had just done. And he says, if you have faith and don't doubt, you can say to this mountain, pick itself up and, and throw itself into the sea. But when Jesus said that, okay, you were made to move mountains, my point. This is what it means to be made in God's image. He was basically saying, he wasn't talking about really moving mountains. He was talking about doing impossible things to change the world. That's what he's talking about. This is what it means to be made in the image of God. Doing impossible things to change, to bring about change in the world. It's making the world a better place. And if that's the true purpose of life, if that's really what the psalmist is reminding himself, that you and I have been given God's power to exercise, to make his name known, to make the world a better place, could there be a better time to be alive than right now in a world that is broken, in a world that is dying and looking for real help and real hope? I had the opportunity, um, I took the opportunity last week um, to listen to a talk by Brian Stevenson, who is the founder and director of the Equal Justice Initiative. And the Equal Justice Initiative is a organization that is really was founded about 25 years ago by this young lawyer, Brian Stevenson, to help reverse wrongly convicted men, mostly if not exclusively black men in this case, who were on death row for one reason or another and didn't have an advocate. Now, some of you may not know the name Brian Stevenson, but you've, you may have read the book, Just Mercy, that came out a few years ago that is it tells his story or even seen the movie um, that has even become, uh, is even being viewed today. It's a, it's a phenomenal story. I would encourage you to read it. But in this talk, he was talking about the formative experiences in his young life. And when he was young, when no one would have known the name Brian Stevenson, he was a young lawyer right out of law school, and he knew he got a sense this was his calling to help um, men, particularly in this case African Americans, wrongly accused. He moved to Alabama, which in that case was the worst of the worst at this time in the early turn of the century of this problem because of some states' rights. And he moved down there, and he said there was this one woman who's a mentor of his down there in in Alabama. And she called him up one day and she said, Brian, how would you like to um, come to so-and-so's house, a private home in a living room, and, um, and sit and listen to a conversation with um, Johnny Carr and Rosa Parks? Now, those two names, you might know at least one of them. Johnny Carr um, was the woman who organized, back in the mid-50s, the Montgomery bus boycott, which was, of course, initiated by the, 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 the even more well-known Rosa Parks, who, if you don't know this, many of you do, but who, whose one decision to refuse to give up her seat on a bus to a, a, a white patron 
in Montgomery, Alabama, galvanized uh, the entire civil rights uh, movement of the 1950s, 60s, and so on. And now, all these years later, they're still alive. This is early, right after the, around the turn of the century. And they, and she says, Brian, would you like to come and listen to these? And he said, absolutely. I mean, here's a guy who thought, man, these are, these are like his heroes. So he said, I sat down there for a long time. I didn't say a word, but he said, here's what so amazed me. As I listened to these two women talk, they did not talk about what they had done, even though they were these, you know, um, icons almost in, in the civil rights movement. They didn't talk about what they had done. They kept talking about what they still hope to do, even uh, when they were in their 80s. Uh, at this time in their life. And he said, when they got done, Rosa Parks turned and said, hey, Brian, tell me about you, right? What do you want to do with your life? And he began to go just talk about, you know, with the things he wanted to do that eventually became the, the equal uh, 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 justice initiative about helping men that have been wrongly incarcerated. And he went on to tell these fair few things and she just kind of smiled. She said, well, son, she said, you know, uh, that's going to make you tired, tired, tired. And she had a smile on her face. And then he said, Johnny Parks, the other woman, lifted up her finger and said, Brian, if you're going to do that, you're going to need to be brave, brave, brave. And he said, that was a transformative moment in my life because I realized in that moment, listening to these two women, that I was going to need to be courageous if I really wanted to do something significant with my life. If I really believed in hope, he said, I was going to have to be create, uh, uh, courageous. Let me say this. Long after, you know, uh, people who've, who, who've gotten their 15 minutes of fame, you know, criticizing or, uh, or, or about the, 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 the coronavirus and decisions made around the coronavirus, or some people who've gotten, made their, got their 15 minutes of fame maybe um, in some way, shape, or form, in the, in the riots that have happened in our culture, in our, in our nation, in our cities in the last many months, long after some of those people are gone, okay? Not all of them, but some of them. Somebody, some buddies, are going to um, discover a vaccine for the coronavirus. Somebody or some buddies are going to make a, a real difference, a lasting difference in one way or another in the racial division that's taking place in our society. But they're not gonna do it because it's easy. They're gonna do it, like Brian Stevenson is doing it, because this is what they were made for, okay? Listen, it's what you were made for. It's not just Brian Stevenson and, and you know, and Rosa Parks and, 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 and Johnny Carr and Gary Haugen and Paul Farmer and Dorothy Day. It's a lot of other people whose names you don't know. This is what we were made for. For. We were crowned with glory and honor that we might be given God's power, but we have to be able to receive his power. We have to be willing to make difficult decisions, and we need to be able to honor our commitments, right? We were made to move mountains. Second thing this passage tells us is your weakness, my weakness, is your strength. Okay, listen carefully. There's so much in this very short psalm. Your weakness is your strength. How do we do that? How do I move mountains? How has Brian Stevenson moved a mountain in his life? Jesus Christ, in Matthew chapter 21, 
he quotes from the second psalm, right? Verse 2, you know, the uh, out of the mouth of babes and infants, okay? But what is happening in that passage? Because Jesus is going to tell us something very important about what it means to live out your purpose in life, how it is that you are to live out your purpose in life, how I'm going to live out my purpose in life. Jesus goes into the temple. It's one of the defining moments in his life, one of his bravest moments, right? Jesus, be brave, brave, brave. One of his bravest moments, one of his most courageous moments is when he went into the center of power in this world, right? In, 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 in the Jewish system. He went into the temple, right? The absolute center of, of, of all power and of importance. And he, he didn't just give a sermon. He turned the tables over, right? He, he, uh, even, he had a, a whip and a cord, I think John's Gospel says. He cleansed the temple. And made, not only did he turn things over, he made a statement and said, listen, to the leaders, the, 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 the people running this the place, you have, you completely missed it. You've corrupted it. You've missed the, the, the big idea here. You've turned my father's house, the temple, into a den of thieves, and he walks out. Now, when he walks out, Matthew 21, it says the blind and the deaf came and he healed them. Now, why is that important? Why is that even there? It's, it's, it's there for a purpose. Because, see, the blind and the deaf, they weren't even allowed in the temple. And then after the blind and the deaf get healed, then children, who also were not on the very important person list, okay, they were, they were very insignificant in, in the ancient world. Then it says, out of the mouth of the children, just playing around on the outside of the temple uh, courts, it says, they called out, Hosanna, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the critics, okay, the critics of Jesus, the leaders of the temple said, they were indignant. And they said, Jesus, how is it possible? Are you going to let this go? You know, these children are saying these, these blasphemous things about you. And what is Jesus saying in quoting? Why does he reach to the second psalm instead of being very direct with these men? He says, listen, out of the mouth of babes and infants, you know, God ordains praise. Because what is he doing? What he's trying to say is this. God's view of power and the world's view of power could not be different. That's what Jesus is saying. Your weakness is your strength. We are made to be carriers of God's name in the world. This is what it means to be made in the image of God. What does God's name mean? Jesus Christ did not come into the world as God's son, listen, as God's representative, and as perfect humanity's representative. He didn't come into the world to exploit the world. He didn't come into the world to dominate the world. Think about it. They, that's, that's what they wanted him to do. They expected him, many, I mean, talk about the, the, the Jewish community, that he was gonna roll over, you know, the Roman Empire. He was going to, you know, he was gonna be a military leader. And Jesus didn't do that. He didn't come to dominate, he didn't come to exploit. He came, Matthew, excuse me, Mark 10, 45, the Son of Man has come not to be served. It's not why God came. He didn't come into the world to get his shoes shined. He didn't come into the world so that people would make a way for him as he walked through the streets of, of Jerusalem or of Galilee. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life, ultimately, as a ransom for many, but in doing that, He's telling you two things. He's telling you the essence of the character of God. This is, he's saying, this is who I am, 
and what it truly means to be a Christian. Slow down, right? You say, how do I make a difference in the world? How do I move mountains, the mountains in, that, that are in front of me today, the challenges in this broken world or in my small world? How do I do it? Your weakness is your greatest strength. Listen, God doesn't need people who are eloquent speakers. God doesn't need people who, are, who have great gifts. God needs people who see their weakness as a starting point for living out of his strength. This is how he silences the foe and silences the avenger. There's a moment in Matthew 18 where the disciples, they're trying to figure this out just like you and I are. And they say to Jesus, who's talking about the kingdom of God, on and on and on, what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is not some geography. It's about what life is looks like, a life that, that is living, lived, excuse me, under God's rule and authority. It, when you exercise the image of God, you are living in the kingdom of God. And so the disciples say to Jesus, as they're, try, as they're slowly getting this, they say, Jesus, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of God? Well, it's not Herod. It's not these people that are on the front page of the Jerusalem Times. It's not the world's version of popularity. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? You know, is it Moses? Is it, is it David? Is it Jeremiah? And Jesus does this. It's a lesson, powerful lesson. He says he calls a child to him. Again, they were not important people in the first century. They were nobody, which is why the, the critics of Jesus criticized um, him for not responding to the children in, in that moment. It says that Jesus brought a little child over to him and he said, listen to his disciples, these words, Matthew 18, three through five. Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children. So he's talking to his disciples, but he said, something's got to change in you. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. It's a powerful statement. Therefore, what does he really mean? Whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. In other words, what does it mean to um, magnify the name of God? What does it mean to be a carrier of his name, to express his image? It means that your weakness is your strength. It means that what it, what it means to, 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 the only way that you can move mountains in the world, to make a difference in the world, is to learn to see your to see your weakness. That's why he's talking about children. As the starting point for a life lived out of dependence, right? It's you know the the apostle Paul put it this way in, in Philippians uh, chapter four. I can do all this. Okay, you'd have to read the whole passage, but he says I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. This is the testimony of anybody. Brian Stevenson, uh, you know, Gary Haugen, Dorothy Day, Rosa Parks, uh, you know, Johnny Carr, you know, your grandmother, and a thousand people whose names you don't know who are making a difference, a real difference, or have made a difference in the world, who've brought God's name, who've magnified God's name through representing his character. This is how they've done it. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Your weakness is your greatest strength. And see, if you don't learn that, if I don't learn that, 
For those of us who don't learn that, this, this, this is what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. This is what it means to be made in the image of God. This is what it means to express that image. The only thing we're left to do as we face the daunting challenge to move mountains in the world is we make excuses and we point fingers as a way to deal with our own inadequacy of trying to live our own lives through our own strength. We don't realize that what Jesus is trying to say here, the world's view of power is completely different than God's. He changed the world through weakness and suffering, right? I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. And what is true of him is true of you and true of me. And when you and I get a hold of that, when we lift up our eyes unto, oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, you have given me power. I need to receive that power. I need to learn how to make good decisions and honor my commitments. I can go into the world, not in my strength, but in his, and make the world a better place. You were made to move mountains. I was made to move mountains. Your weakness is your greatest strength. And lastly, Jesus is our example, right? Jesus is our example. This passage, Psalm 2, or Psalm 8, is also used in Hebrews. It is not angels, Hebrews 2, that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified, the writer of Hebrews, then he quotes from Psalm 8. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? and the son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. So far he's talking about human, humanity, you and me. In putting everything under them, men and women, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at the present time, we do not see everything subject to them. He's saying, listen, let's be honest. The world is not subject. I don't snap my fingers and, and, and you know, um, and people do what I say. I, I, don't, I don't have that kind of commanding power in the world necessarily, right? That's what the writer's trying to say. Yet, but we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, right? Like you and me, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for every man. What is he trying to say? The brokenness in the world, your brokenness, my brokenness, is no excuse for inaction, right? That's what the writer's trying to say. Because Jesus Christ has brought a remedy to the brokenness of the world, and he has allowed you and me, if I take that remedy, to be able to look past my brokenness, to join him in the restoration or bringing the restoration of God's image to the world. That's what it means to be made in the image of God, right? You were made to move mountains. Your weakness is your strength. There is no better time to be alive if you want your life to have purpose, if I want my life to have purpose, than right now, if we know what it means to walk with God. Jesus is our champion, right? That's what the writer is saying. Let me close with, with a, a, some words from a, a famous sermon from C.S. Lewis that really is a, sums up the eighth psalm in such a great way. I would encourage you to read the whole thing. 
Uh, it's called the weight of glory. The weight of glory. But he says this. Think about this moment we're living in. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilization, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play, but our merriment must be of that kind which exists between people who have, from the outset, taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. And our charity must be a real and costly love with deep feeling for the sins in spite of which we love the sinner. No mere tolerance or indulgence which parodies love as flippancy parodies merriment. Next to the Blessed Sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. If he or she is your Christian neighbor, they are holy in almost the same way, for in him also Christ himself is truly hidden. Right? Christ himself is truly hidden. Every person you see every person I see. You were made to move mountains. Your weakness is your greatest strength, and Jesus is your champion. Let's change the world. We can change the world um, one person at a time, right? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for uh, these moments. Thank you for your, your words. Thank you for this um, great psalm that is a reminder to every one of us that um, although life is very difficult, although, we, the, although there's no question, there are many challenges in our world and in our own, in our own personal lives. Lord, we, we have a relationship with an almighty, majestic God who in partnership um, we can move mountains we can draw strength, we can help bring about true change in the world and help other people who don't know you um, experience grace and forgiveness and a restored image to be the men and women that you always have intended them to be. Help us, Lord, each of us today as we walk into our, our lives to, to be, um, be your agents to be your servants in this world. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.